Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for your presence with us now, Lord, as we open your word and seek, Lord, to intermeddle with all wisdom. Lord, you have been made unto us wisdom. So, Lord, speak to us now as we study your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now if you uh, turn in your Bibles, Genesis 47, we're going to look at these verses, Genesis 47, starting at verse 13. And there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in all and in the land of Canaan for the corn which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came unto Joseph and said, give us bread, for why should we die in thy presence? For the money faileth. And Joseph said, give your cattle, and I will give you for your cattle if money fail. And they brought their cattle unto Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses and for flocks and for cattle of the herds and for the asses. And he fed them with bread for all their cattle for that year. When that year was ended, they came unto him the second year and said unto him, we will not hide it from my Lord, how that our money is spent. Our my Lord also hath our herds of cattle. There is not aught left in the sight of my Lord, but our lands, our bodies, and our lands. Wherefore should we die before thine eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants unto Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not desolate. And Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for the Egyptians sold every man his field, because the famine prevailed over them, so the land became Pharaoh's. What a remarkable history this is about this transformation that took place in Egypt. In last study, we saw how serious this famine had become when it says in verse 13 that there was no bread in all the land of Egypt, for the famine was very sore. It's hard for us to imagine being here in the U.S. what this is really like. But Egypt was in a state of starvation, and I never seen anything like this before until I went to Ethiopia about 11 years ago, 2007, and there I saw poverty in Ethiopia that I was shocked. I thought Mexico was a poor country. Mexico is a rich country compared to Ethiopia, and they had gone through, they were in the midst of a famine. There just seemed to be one famine after another in Ethiopia, but the worst one was in 1983 to 1984 when 400,000 people died. But it was just shocking. 
talking. And that's why we decided as antibodies to have a business in Ethiopia. We wanted to bring hope to the people, not just food for their bodies, but so that death is so prevalent in the place where we're at. The average life is 42. People don't live past 42 years old. So, of course, you know, the need, the physical need is for food and for medicines and for hygiene and how to not die from typhus and from HIV and from malaria and all the things that kill the people there. But more important than that, to make them ready to die, to make them prepared to die by giving them the gospel so that they can have hope and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, these famines, they come because of no rains. Or in the case of Ethiopia, there may be rain, but it just happens to be all concentrated within a one or two month period, which really destroys the crops. And when they'll have in a typical season, 85 inches of rain, you've never seen rain like this before. But the famines come that way. And then what happens is the hot air blows over the land and the hot air is like a devourer. It just, if there's anything that was even thinking about growing, it's just destroyed by this blast that comes through there and the dust blows through then after that and it's terrible. That's why I'm wearing glasses today because I for 50 years I wore contacts until I was in Ethiopia and that dust blew into my eyes and I made the fatal mistake of doing this and that took care of me in contacts. But anyway, but Egypt, they had endured the famine for a period of time and, until all their stores ran out, everything they ran out and the, the food ran out and then they bought food with the money and the money ran out and now we see the Egyptians coming to Joseph in a state of absolute transparency, absolute honesty. They're very, very open about their condition when they they said, give us bread in verse 15, for why should we die in thy presence? The money faileth. And and again, they're really laying it out on the line to Joseph when they say, why should we die in thy presence? I mean, you can't read a statement like that Why should we die in our presence without thinking about the prodigal son? Because the prodigal son had this moment also when he came to this openness. It's very interesting. You read about the prodigal son. You think about the Egyptians. You read about the prodigal son in Luke 15.10. In Luke 15.10, where it says, likewise, the Lord Jesus says, likewise, I say unto you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And then it goes on to say in verse 13, not many days after the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. So here we go again, another famine. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, to feed pigs. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, that's what the Bible says, he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough to and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, he's planning, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, 
His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father, see, he interrupts him. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the breast robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring hither the fatted calf, kill, let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, is alive again, he's lost and is found, and they began to be merry. So here's this prodigal son. And one day he asked his father, just go ahead and give him the inheritance now. I mean, he had his eye on the portion of the inheritance that he was going to get when his father died. And he dreamed of that money every day that would be his. And he, he just wished his father would just hurry up and die so he could get his hands on the money. But his father, uh, the problem was his father seemed healthy as an ox. That was a problem. And, and, and it made this prodigal son anxious and it made him impatient till finally he just came to a place where he just blurted it out. And in essence, what he was saying to his father was that, look, I have been patiently waiting for you to die so I can get my hands on the inheritance. But the problem is you don't look like you're going to die. And I wish you'd die so I could get the money, but I'm just going to come right out and ask you to give me the inheritance now so you don't make me wait till you die. I mean, imagine that. I mean, if you were the father... What you would think, imagine that, that must have made the father feel that the only reason that this son was staying at home was so that he could get the inheritance from his father when his father died. Imagine how the father realized that the son really didn't want to be with him. He didn't want to be with him. And the only reason he was with him is so that he wouldn't change his will and he'd lose his inheritance. So the son, he just comes out with these feelings. He lays it on the table and asks his father just to dispense with all the drama of the dying and the death and the funeral and everything and just give him the inheritance now. I mean, imagine the grace of the father to agree to give the younger son the inheritance and not make him wait till he died. I mean, that's grace. That's grace. Well, as soon as he gets the money, then he goes off and it says he went far away from home. And he went as far as he could. So so he's, he's hoping, I hope I never see my father again. And when he's far away, he says that at long last, he's gotten what he wants and he surrounds himself with prostitutes and he just dives into this wild life and he ends up spending all that he's had. And the prodigal son is just reduced now down to a state because the famine had come. He's reduced down to a state of feeding pigs. He's feeding pigs. It's not a respectable job for a Jewish boy. But he's so hungry in that state that he would just eat the pig food. And then he comes to himself and he realizes that my father's servants have plenty to eat and I'm perishing with hunger. And so then he starts to rehearse in his mind how he's going to do this how he's going to eat humble pie and come back and what he's going to say. And, and he works out his whole confession where he confess, he's going to confess his rebelliousness and his unworthiness, but also he's dying from hunger. And so these are the words when the father starts to hear these things that the father then, when this all comes about, the reunion, and the father brings out the best robe and the rings and the shoe for the prodigal son, it all changed for the father and the son when the son did not hide his real condition of I perish with hunger. So um, um, imagine what it have been like if the prodigal son didn't come back that way. But if he just sort of strolled in and said, yeah, everything's great. Oh, I had a wonderful time out there. And I just decided to come back for a visit to see how you're all doing. I mean, if the prodigal son had not been honest about his sin and his rebellion and the real state that he was in of dying from hunger, imagine what it would have been like if he tried to hide his sin from the father and his condition. Well, that's what we're seeing here with the Egyptians. 
They're just like the prodigal son. The Egyptians are as open and they're as honest and they're as transparent with Joseph as the prodigal son was with his father. And the Egyptians came to Joseph in verse 15. And when they said, why should we die in thy presence? The money faileth, we're broke. The Egyptians were being totally honest. And they say, why should we die? We're going to die in thy presence. And when they did that, they were putting all their hope and all their trust in Joseph. In Joseph. Not, they didn't have anything to bring. You know, it's just like the hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. We sang that hymn last Sunday. Say, nothing in my hand, I don't have anything. The money is failing. And when the prodigal son, he confessed that he had sinned against heaven, and his father, and was reduced to nothing, he was putting all of his hope, all of his trust in his father, in what his father was doing. That's the picture that God wants us to see here, what repentance looks like. What does it look like, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ? It looks like these Egyptians. It looks like these poor Egyptians. It looks like the prodigal son who came in a state of openness about their bankruptcy, confessing that they did wrong which in the case of the Egyptians was that they didn't listen to the warning that Joseph had given them that the famine is going to be here and it's going to be seven years. And when we see Joseph accept these Egyptians and care for them with food, we see a picture there of how God accepts us and how his great forgiveness he accepts the, the confessing sinner with wide open arms, just like the father did of the prodigal son. So Joseph responds to the people in verse 16. Joseph said, give your cattle. I'll give you for your cattle if money fail. And they brought their cattle unto Joseph, verse 17. And Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses and flocks and so forth. And he fed them with bread for all their cattle it says, for that year at the end of verse 17. It says he fed them. Now, we can imagine the people say to themselves, as they kind of, you know, remember the prodigal son was there and he was kind of working out exactly what he was going to do and how he was going to return and what he was going to say. Well, we can imagine the Egyptians sort of working this out in their mind too and asking the question, why shouldn't we give our cattle to Joseph? I mean, right now they would say, our cattle have nothing to eat. If we keep them, they're going to die. If we keep them, we're going to watch dead carcasses in front of us. But if we give them to Joseph, then he's going to feed them and they're going to live. See, isn't that a picture of a person today looking at the shambles that he's made of his own life and saying, why shouldn't I give myself to the Lord Jesus Christ? I made a mess of my life. He will fix my life. See, it's just like the song goes, you know, something beautiful, something good, all my confusion he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful in my life. So, so okay, so here came the cattle, and, and just imagine Pharaoh watching the cattle of the land being brought in for exchange for, their, for bread, and that cattle was not in good shape. So you know, what do you think he's thinking? Is he looks at these skinny, lean cattle. You know, Pharaoh is saying to himself, they look so emaciated. They look so lean. Oh, the last time I saw that was in my dreams over 10 years ago in Genesis 41.1, where it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river, and behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kind cattle and fat flesh. They fed in a meadow, and behold, seven other kind came up after them out of the river, ill-favored, lean flesh, and stood by the other kind upon the brink of the river. 
and the ill-favored and lean flesh kind did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kind, so Pharaoh woke. It was shocking. It woke him up. He couldn't continue sleeping. He saw these these skinny, emaciated cattle eating up the, the fat cattle, and it was a nightmare to him. So now as he's looking out his window, he's seeing all these cattle come in, he's reliving the nightmare. He's seeing the thing all over again. And, and so when the Egyptians came to Joseph and he said, they said, look, we're going to die. We don't have any more money. And Joseph then asked the Egyptians, well, bring your cattle. I raised the question. The question is this. Wasn't it enough for Joseph that he'd taken all their money? He didn't take their money, but he gathered up their money for the bread. I mean, why did he ask them for their cattle? He was already, he's already got all their money. Why didn't Joseph just give them corn without asking for their cattle? Why did he ask them for their, bring their cattle in? Why, why do you think? So he could feed them. Okay, so he could feed them. Yeah, that's good. He works for Pharaoh. It's not up to him. It's not up to him. Okay, good, right, okay. Well, like you said, it was better for them to become Pharaoh's cattle because, you know, Pharaoh's cattle would be fed. And there's a picture here, you know, like I said, when we run our lives and our lives are like the Egyptian cattle and the condition is wasted. And when we turn our lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ to be our director, to be our master, that's just like when the cattle, they came to be owned by Pharaoh and then they flourished again. They were under new management. And at this point, you know, that's what happens to a person when he gives his life, the ownership of his life, over to the Lord Jesus. It's what it means not just to receive him as Savior. It's what it means to receive him as Lord, as owner. And the Egyptians, you know, didn't just wake up one day and and say, you know, I'm just not very good at taking care of my own cattle. I think I'll just give my cattle to Pharaoh because through Joseph, he, he knows better how to take care of my cattle. They didn't do that. The Pharaoh, the the Egyptians, they started off and they said, you know, look, I've taken care of my cattle for all my life. No one is better than me at taking care of my cattle. I mean, that's pride. That's pride rising up to the surface of the Egyptians, just as the suggestion that they're no good at taking care of their own cattle. No. And that's what happens to man. It's just the suggestion of him turning his life over to be managed and directed, owned by the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like he says, no, says, I, I run my life. No one knows better that, how to run my life than me. Thank you very much. Just leave me alone. No one's going to be my boss. I'm going to direct my life. See, that's pride rising up to the surface in a man at the suggestion that they're no good at running their own lives. You know, in my business... I meet a lot of people who are in business for themselves. In many cases, they're in business for themselves because they will not accept to have a boss over them, to direct them, to tell them what to do. Man just doesn't know that he doesn't have what it takes to direct his own life. He just doesn't know that. But Jeremiah came to this conclusion, and he says, I know it. And we don't know what happened in Jeremiah's life, but it was probably from some personal experience when he said in Jeremiah 10, 23, Jeremiah 10, 23, Jeremiah said, oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man that walketh to direct his steps. See, there's no, there was no doubt in Jeremiah's mind. He had tried to run his own life. He came to this firm personal knowledge, whatever it was that happened, that just wasn't going to work. It's not in man to run his own life. And even for a Christian, this truth does not come easily. Unfortunately, it's got to be a painful process that the Christian comes through, this this conclusion. It's got to be the school of hard knocks, just like it happened to the Egyptians. 
They had to watch their own lives. They had to watch their own cattle come to a, be wasted away, come to a point of death, where they come to the point of accepting for their cattle to become the property of Pharaoh. And that's what happens in the life of a Christian. He receives the Lord as a Savior, but not as Lord. And he may say that, oh, no, he's my Lord, but not really. And it's in this case that the Christian is like the Egyptian he, who buys food with his money and says, okay, this is only temporary. I'll get myself out of this mess. Still got my work ability, got my cattle, got my land. Okay, I'm, I'm drained down on money, but I don't need to turn over my whole life over the direction and management of Joseph. I don't need to turn my whole life over the direction and management, Christian says, of God. I just had a little dry patch, and I'll be fine running my own life just as soon as I get past this. So Joseph, he sells the Egyptian food for their money, and then he waits for that to run out. He's patient. And then for their cattle to be half dead from starvation. And then they come and they, they come running and saying that they're dying. They're dying. So we see them bringing their cattle in verse 17. They brought their cattle unto Joseph. Joseph gave them bread for exchange for it. It goes through the list of the horses and the flocks and the cattle, the herds, the asses. And he fed them with bread for their, all their cattle for that year. So what we see here is the Egyptians bring to Joseph their cattle and it includes all these, these animals. And now these animals have become Pharaoh's property. But notice there are two supplies of bread in verse 17. What are they? What are the two supplies of bread in verse 17? Verse 17 speaks about one supply and it speaks about another supply. What's the first supply? The people. Joseph gave them bread in exchange for their horses. All right, the the second supply, the last part of verse 17 is what? For the animals. He fed them with bread for all their cattle that year. Okay, Now, you look at that last statement that I just read. See something strange? Do you see anything strange about that last statement? He fed them with bread for all their cattle that year. Let me let me give you an analogy. Okay, let's say that I I buy a car from Tom, and it's got no gas in it. And I want Tom to just keep taking care of my car that I bought from him. And I say, Tom, here's some money for you to fill the car. Okay, with gas, right? Now, what I say to Tom... Tom, here's money for you to fill your car up with gas, or would I say, Tom, here's money for you to fill my car up with gas? It'd be my car, because I bought the car, right? Now, the cattle has been bought, already been bought, right? And it's no longer the people's. So how does the Bible describe the cattle? Pharaoh's cattle, Joseph's cattle, or, or the people's cattle? But it says their cattle. Now, so it's interesting because Joseph did not take the cattle away from the people. He said, okay, you know, bring all your cattle here to these stockyards. He left the cattle with the people, but the cattle had been bought and there was no longer the people's cattle. It was really Pharaoh's cattle, but the cattle are referred to in verse 17 as their cattle, even though the cattle was no longer their cattle, but there's referred to it that way. Why? Because it appeared as though the cattle was still their cattle because they continued to be at their places and everything looked like nothing had really changed. But they were really, in fact, Pharaoh's cattle. But it was the people who were taking care of Pharaoh's cattle, and so it looked like the cattle was still theirs. Now, that's a picture 
of what happens in the Christian who surrenders his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. On the surface, it looks like nothing has really changed. It looks like he still owns his own life. But in reality, as with the cattle, his life is no longer his own. And he no longer decides what he's going to do in life. And now the Christian, he looks to the Lord Jesus for direction, for decisions on what he should do in life. Because just as with the cattle was bought, the Christian has been bought also. As the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. So you don't own yourself. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Experience a short-term missions trip to Israel, the land and people to whom the Lord Jesus Christ will return. Not only walk where the Lord Jesus walked, but reach who He reached, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Be a part of the encouraging Jewish friends to receive the Lord Jesus. Israel Alive is all about making friendships with lost Israelis that will hopefully be eternal. We hope you'll join us in reaching the nation of Israel one friendship at a time. For more information, visit us at israelalive.org. That's israelalive.org. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 